Welcome to the Pubway Podcast. Each episode will showcase a conversation with a leader from the publishing world. If you're working at a publisher, a DSP or SSP, or you're just curious about the media industry and want to sit down and pick the brains of the experts from within the publishing space, then this is the show for you. Welcome to the Pubway Podcast. My name is Tina Yanakino. Now, Mike Villalobos. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to build the quote-unquote perfect contextual strategy, where to even start, and approaching first-party data, and what complements that first-party data. Joining us today is my good friend, Brett Government, who is the AVP of Data Strategy at PMC. Brett and I met a few years ago at my prior role as She Media as part of PMC, and funny story, we barely spoke. And we, we now speak a lot more um, now that I am at SeedTag and we are working together as partners and we have been digging into all things data ever since. And I'm so pleased to have him here today. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm good. How about you? It's, it's funny how that works, isn't it? It's like once you have some good data on your hands, then, uh, then we can start the conversation. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. And uh, before we really dive into all things of the topic of today's episode, I think just it'd be helpful for the audience to hear a bit more about your career to understand why we're focusing on this topic and, and what you're doing today. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's not particularly exciting, but I'm, I'm sure it helps <laughs> add some context. So uh, I sort of cut my teeth at Permutive for about two years, uh, working with a lot of U.S. publishers, helping them develop their first-party data strategy sort of in the early days when Google initially said they were going to deprecate cookies, I think, which was in 2022, the first time around. Uh, I can't remember. So, you know, sort of when uh, when first party data strategies were, were having their moment and PMC was actually one of my clients. Um, and at the time, the, the chief advertising officer sort of, you know, we became very friendly and uh, sort of, you know, through that friendship, uh, we, uh, you know, sort of, you know, decided to, uh, to, to make a switch. And so I came over to PMC uh, to help them develop their first party data strategy, their, uh, their ad product solutions, um, and overall, uh, just oversee their, their, uh, data strategy in general, which includes things like, like identity. Um, and so, you know, since then I've been at PMC for almost two years now, and, you know, we've had a ton of success, uh, not only building out unique first party data strategies, but actually putting it into action, uh, with our advertising partners and have seen some pretty good results so far. Before even diving into the data components, I guess, can you walk us through the importance of having new content and how do you define premium content? Is it defined by the vertical, defined by the user, defined by you? Um, and again, how that, how that actually parlays into data strategy? Yeah, I think also from a publisher perspective, it has a lot more weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because it's a premium is definitely one of those terms that gets thrown around a lot in press releases or conferences. And and things like that. And the reason is because it doesn't really have a definition. It's not like, you know, a nutrition label on the on the back of like a food package or something. So it gives everybody, whether you're a buyer, a publisher, or an ad tech platform, a little bit of a wiggle room, right? And so, you know, I think for, for my purposes, you know, I could only give the publisher perspective, right? Maybe a little bit of ad tech perspective, but I'll, I'll focus on the publisher, right? And I, I think it's sort of, I, I, you know, I, I could put it into maybe three buckets, right? The first is traffic, right? Like to have premium content, you need to be able to have some level of of reach, right? Because otherwise it's like you can have an amazing newsletter, but if you have, you know, five people, you know, is it even is it even worth considering in the conversation of advertising, right? So I think you need eyeballs. 
And then the second one I think is curation, right? You need someone who is actually looking at the content that's going on the page or even going on the platform, right? And you see things like, you know, like Twitter, right? Which I think is all the rage these days where they have a problem with curation, where a lot of brands are pulling back their ad dollars because their ability to curate and make sure that their brand is not showing up um, next to some sort of, um, you know, less than less than safe content is 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 not 100% secure. And then I think the last one is probably like brand bread equity, right? Like the person producing the content needs to have some skin in the game. And what I mean by that is if you're a Rolling Stone or if you're a Variety, if you're a Billboard, you have brand equity. People go to your sites for news, for insights, for the latest trends in music or for the latest trends in entertainment, right? And if you are not concerned or always worried about what your users think about your brand and how they see your brand as a expert in that particular arena, you're not premium, right? Because there are other people out there that are concerned about that, that are con- consistently worried about how their brand is perceived by by end users and making sure that what they're doing is valuable to their end users. Um, so kind of similar to curation, but just a little bit more about like the brand has something to lose in that transaction. And so you know as a buyer that that publisher is really has uh, their act together when it comes to premium content and, and developing a premium brand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the also the conversation between brand suitability and brand safety is is a bit fragmented. And there's so many players using all these different ways of judging and all these taxonomies. It's a bit overwhelming as a publisher and even a vendor in the space to fully grasp just the depth of data that we all have access to um, and just super fragmented. And I think you can also bring up when it comes to sentiment targeting versus suitability and how you're even trying to evaluate it across the ecosystem. It can be confusing, especially for a publisher who's not someone like PMC with a ton of amazing first party data working with a platform like Permitive, where do you even start? And, and there's kind of a lack of those out of the box solutions unless you have the budget to pay for it. Um, so definitely speaking our language here, but I would like to kind of maybe shift gears a bit to AI, just because it's coming off of all the hot topics. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. It's not, <laughs> not, it's not a white hot topic at all in our industry. Um, but I guess what role do you see AI playing in improving ad targeting and audience segmentation? Since with third-party cookie deprecation, there's obviously concerns on it going away, but it's really more about it changing. And I think AI can be an interesting lever for publishers to pull if, if you know how to use it. Yeah, I mean, if I can't sit here and tell you that I know how to use it, right? I mean, I've used it, uh, you know, very uh, minimally to help me build out decks or, you know, write some emails, pretty vanilla stuff, not uh, not really changing the world of, of ad tech with, with my use cases. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's the applications of AI and advertising. I think there's, there's, there's the world that I want, and then there's the world that may occur. Right. So I would like to channel my inner optimist and, and touch on that one first. Right. So I, I think that, you know, the AI applications from an advertising perspective, you know, through the lens of a publisher is that the ability to analyze insane amount of data and then decision on it is where I see AI having an application um, in advertising, right? So if we have some uh, large model, not a, it could be a large language model, you know, depending on what your, what your use case is. But if you have a large model that's evaluating 
uh, users on a one-to-one -one basis that are coming to our sites. And you're able to then look at uh, what behaviors actually drive action. So using the sort of seed segment, say, you know, this user clicked on an affiliate link or this user clicked on an ad or this user filled out a registration form, right? Like knowing that sort of end use case, being able to reverse engineer that with AI and, and take action on those users in order to in order to drive the best outcomes for the publisher, that's where I see it um, really playing a part in the most positive way, right? Then there's the other sort of the other side of the coin where I think, you know, up, to, up until this point, well, what I've seen with algorithms and what I've seen with AI is that they tend to sort of bring out the worst uh, in, in people and in platforms, right? Like what you see on like Twitter and what you see on YouTube and what you see on Facebook is that like anger and, you know, just opposing views is what gets bubbled to the top because oftentimes what the algorithm is optimizing for is engagement, right? And I have never seen anyone more engaged than when they're pissed off at somebody, right? And so that's where I see the other side of the coin where it's not for good. It's not within premium environments. It's not where someone like PMC or like Condé or like Hearst or any of these other like major, uh, you know, major publishing networks um, are sort of able to hone in on specific use cases based on their content and their audiences. It's sort of when you unleash it in the wild, wild west and it sort of optimizes for these things that maybe the platforms don't even know what the outcome will be. And I actually... I sympathize with buyers, right? Because if you're a buyer, you almost have to buy on Facebook or have to buy on YouTube, right? Or TikTok or whatever it is, right? Like I'm not telling you that you should spend all your money with PMC, but the reality is, is that with sort of AI sort of being let out of Pandora's box and these platforms already integrating it into their algorithms, how do you know where your brand is showing up and what the effectiveness is of, of, of those campaigns? And the reality is, is I have no idea. Yeah. And I mean, sorry, I mean, uh, and the buy side also is severely underregulated, for lack of a better word, and especially coming up on a, an election year. Um, it tends to be like whack-a-mole with all the, <laughs> the political ads that we get and, and the mislabeling and to get around the different blocks that we'll have in the firewalls. Um, so it's definitely kind of a scary situation that we all have to deal with. But I do see a, a place for AI to help with those moments, as long as it's trained well and trained in the right instances, and you're always going to need human intervention and human overlords, so to speak, <laughs> to better manage it and use it effectively. Um, it's just, it's going to be a very interesting next two to three years, especially with this upcoming election cycle. Both of you guys, I'd love to hear on the publisher side, right? Like we've talked about optimization and just how do you categorize slash like optimize for viewership, right? But more importantly, with copyright and copyright essentially, like, mm -hmm. How do you work through generative AI, right? Because now you have, let's say you have a sample size of the last 50,000 blogs, you want to produce something in a political view or uh, just for entertainment. You're now, are you replacing the writer in and of itself or are you letting the site kind of create its own website? Or what does that look like in the future? Yeah, I almost see like, can we do almost like a blockchain NFT situation <laughs> where there's somehow a royalty or a traffic attribution back to the original creator content? Right. Exactly. The blockchain model. I, I don't know if any, someone could be doing it now. I think that's a really good idea. Maybe we should all sidebar about this later. Um, but in my head, that would be one situation that works. Brett, I don't know if you feel any different. Yeah, I mean... If you understand blockchain and you don't just say it as like a sort of yeah. buzzword, like sure. it is perfect. It is a perfect technology to attribute, um, you know, 
creation of content and usage of content to it to it to its initial creator yep. right now the rea- as much as i want the perfect technology to be applied to that ai usage also fundamentally what it comes down to is does microsoft or does google or any other sort of ai platform really feel like they need to pay the piper right like Traditionally, you know, for the past 10 years of ad tech, publishers have really not gotten their fair share, right? We get sort of what's left over after all the ad tech fees um, and all the sort of repurposing of data, right? This is an opportunity for us to, and, and I think you actually see that with, you know, the likes of Barry Diller and, you know, a lot of other publishers, including PMC, sort of putting up a bit more of a fight because we know the story, right? Like if we right. don't, if, if we don't have a voice in this game, Google and Microsoft will speak on our behalf, and I hate to break it to most people uh, out there, they don't care about publishers as much as they say that they do. And so, you know, I, I think that's where, um, I, you know, I, the easy solution outside of looking in is, yeah, blockchain, right? But from an economics perspective, my top, my bottom line, if I'm Google or Microsoft, is way smaller if I have to start paying out people that created content. And if I can fight, if I can, you know, have a couple lawsuits and find out that I actually don't have to pay these people, great, right? And that's sort of where I see a lot of the troops lighting up is, you know, where, what, what is fair use and how is that used? I think objectively, we can all look at, um, <clears throat> we can all look at the usage of publisher content and say, that's not fair, right? Like you're using my data, you're using my content, you're using it to monetize on the other side. And at the same time, you're reducing traffic to my sites based on the usage of generative AI uh, within a search platform, right? But when you look at the law, which, you know, no one really cares about fairness when it comes to the letter of law, you know, the uh, fair use is a very general term, right? And I think that at some point in time, there's going to be a, um, there's going to be a decision uh, on what that actually means. And that will fundamentally dictate what that technology is, Right. Because once Google or Microsoft is forced to pay publishers, that's when they actually start looking at what that technology will be. Until we get to that point, this is all speculative, right? Like they're not yeah. going to give us money out of the kindness of their hearts. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, as, 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 much as, as much as I see blockchain as a possible solution, we're not even there yet. Like we got to fight the good fight before we even touch what that solution looks like. It's in, in the same vein of, I guess, of usage and users, what do you see consumer data privacy falling within that, that framework? Uh, I think we've seen quite a bit of movement within EMEA, um, but we have CCPA here, Wes, and I would say it's kind of dragged, dragged out a little bit. It hasn't really advanced too much beyond that. What do you see that play within the publisher? I think it's actually plus one for publishers because now you're controlling and operating off your own data versus having someone else mine your data on the third party side. So we'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on that. I mean, I think as a consumer, it's, it's a good thing. Right. It's, you know, when I go to a website and, you know, I, I don't know at this point in time who's tracking me unless you go into the network tab and start, you know, doing some digging, which, you know, 99% of the population that isn't an ad tech isn't, isn't doing that. Right. I'm sure we've all done that. Right. You're like, oh, I wonder what vendors this website uses. And then you kind of go through it and look at it. Right. Um, But, you know, so on the consumer side, I I think it's the right way to go. Right. Like you should have control over how your data is used in the ecosystem. And, and more importantly, know who's tracking you. I, I think that's the funda, fundamental uh, point of, of these uh, regulations. I think from a publisher side, you know, I see it as, as a net positive, mostly because the access and repur- the access to our data and therefore the repurposing of our data is just harder, right? So in this world of privacy regulations, 
publishers have far more control over how their data is is used, right? And, and from from my perspective, that's a great thing because we now have the ability to sort of exercise our power and and more importantly, optimize our yield, right? If we know that in certain places our data is worth more than others and we can optimize for that, we're absolutely going to do that. But today, because audiences are essentially commoditized via third-party cookies, there's really no reason outside of um, you know any kind of branded content or premium placement for a buyer to sort of buy our audiences. But because we've developed a first-party data strategy and we have audiences that aren't necessarily uh, in the open market for you know people on media math or trade desk to sort of pick and buy, we actually have a new offering, right? So we're already starting to develop this sort of let's call it more premium direct channels, you know, that sort of PMP type environment, that more programmatic direct type of environment where we have data and offerings that are only available in that more sort of direct relationship. And we're, I mean, that's one of, that's been one of the shining stars this year for PMC is that our PMP revenue has been increasing year over year, which I think is something that um, just, you know, I can talk all day about how much we want to create these more like private relationships with buyers, but if the revenue isn't there, it's really not, it's not worth talking about, but I think for a business, that's what we're seeing. Got it. I, look, if you touch on quite a bit across the board, I'd love to distill that down to like one or two things. What are you most excited about in the next 12 months, 18, 24 months? Um, it could be anything from AI through to just general monetization within the publishing network, right? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think the privacy sandbox is actually coming to real it's coming to life right i think up until this point there's been a lot of uh you know press releases and documentation and sort of you know a lot of like well what do you think about topics and what do you think about fledge and what do you think about flock and like i think you know what i've seen from google and like and a lot of their press releases like it's gonna happen right so i mean what i'm most excited about is i think that they're going to be testing uh a portion of inventory uh come the beginning of 2024, I could have that timeline wrong. You should definitely double check me on that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what that test looks like, right? Because that will fundamentally tell us what the open web will look like without cookies. Um, because essentially, we kind of know what it looks like in Safari, right? But you know, it's so fragmented, you know, between all the various DSPs, all the various SSPs, and what those platforms optimize for. It's incredibly difficult to sort of see how um, it, to sort of compare like Safari to Chrome, right? But when app, when sorry, when Google actually deprecates cookies and tests it out, we're going to see sort of an end-to-end, -end, um, you know, test of what signals are we sending into the bitstream, what signals is Google picking up. And how are buyers actually transacting on on those signals? Now, there's a whole other problem that Google controls the whole ecosystem, and you know we can certainly have another podcast about that and how I feel about it. But I, I think to me that's, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's probably where I'm I'm most excited to see the results at least over the next 12 months, um, and because I I think it's a uh, it, it's you know we've been talking about the deprecation of cookies for God knows how long, and like it seems like it's actually going to happen now, which um, I, I think is, uh, you know, really an interesting time to be an ad tech. Well, something I'm very interested in is what is currently on your nightstand? Is there some amazing book you've been reading recently related to the industry or not? 
Hopefully not, <laughs> because we all spend way too much time <laughs> talking about all this nonsense. <laughs> it's it, it kind of is, kind of isn't. It's kind of related to old school. Um, man, I'm glad I'm reading like a really interesting book because if I had to say <laughs> Harry Potter, it'd be bad. Um, it's, no a, it's a book called. It, it, <laughs> no, I love Harry Potter, but you know, it's, it's you yeah. know for a podcast, you know, I say that's what you're reading. Uh, no, I'm, I'm reading a book called uh, Choke Point Capitalism. And uh, what it's about is sort of these uh, the differences between a monopoly and a monopsony. Uh, and it's fascinating because what you find out is that, uh, you know, by the law pretty much stipulates that a monopoly is someone uh, is an entity that um, is able to control pricing and that is not good for end consumers. Right. And a monopsony is actually someone who controls the supply of goods. So you look at Walmarts or in particular Amazons, right, where they're able to depress prices so much on suppliers that actually those are also consumers, right, because they need to buy things as well. And so their reach and their ability to depress pricing on the supply side actually nets out to where it's it's still a net negative on society. But from a consumer perspective, prices are so low, right? And look, I don't know what the solution is, but it's just a very interesting um, dynamic to propose. And I'm not saying I support it in any way, but uh, it sort of flips flips the way you you think about what a monopoly is and 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 what sort of power they exercise on, on the market. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's it's a it's a good book. It's 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 fairly technical. So if you're not into like economics or anything, I I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but um, it's it's an interesting read so far. Classic supply and demand. <laughs> you, yeah, you got you nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Um, well, yeah, I, I think that's all we have time for for today's episode. Brett, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, hope we didn't scare you or make you too uncomfortable. And that oh, yeah. you'll, you'll still text me back at some point. Um, but thank you again. And yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yep, appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks, brother. Appreciate it.